Hey, welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored you're here. The word Kalos means beautiful in, well, poorly pronounced Greek. But we're all about making known the beauty of Jesus. So why don't we dive in to last week's sermon right now. Well, welcome to Kalos Church. My name is Pradeepin, one of the pastors here. Haven't seen you since last decade. (laughs) We're a church plant that has now spanned two decades. And so they said we couldn't do it, but here we are. And, uh, you know, some of us have been afraid uh, of the puns with the 2020 year. Going to share our 2020 vision, you know, and... But hearing all these different things, we've decided actually in this year that we're not going to have any puns at Kalos Church anymore. We decided to have a, a no pun door policy. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be here all decade. Uh, <laughs> well, well, welcome back. Welcome back. We're so excited. You know, before we launch this brand new series, I just want to say, you know, we took a two-week break, and our last service that we had was our international Christmas service, the first time we've ever done that, and it was amazing. We had, a, we had hundreds of people come. We had uh, dozens of people raise their hand for salvation, and I am just so proud of our community for making this a safe place for people of all different backgrounds from different cities, states, nations to find a safe place right here at Kalos Church where they could experience the love of Christ and community. There's this one lady in particular. I love this story. She, she approached me and she said, hey, I, I just moved here from another country with my daughter. And unfortunately, my whole family wasn't able to come with us. And we're separated for Christmas, and we don't have a lot of finances. And my daughter and I, we have this tradition where we get a picture with Santa every year, but we didn't know where to do that. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't really get our, our mind wrapped around this new reality. And so I was on Facebook, and I saw Kevin from the office speak to me, saying, hey, come to Kalos Church at the Hilton Garden Inn. Free pictures with Santa. And so I, so I came, and I got my pictures with Santa. It was such a, a relief for our family, and, and then I went into the service, and there was beautiful music, and the Christmas story in different languages. I, I felt like right at home, even my language was spoken, and uh, then I heard this message, and I resonated with it. I heard that Jesus had fled for his life to Egypt, and I heard about salvation, and I, I don't know if this is normal, Pastor, but... During the whole service, I just started to cry and weep uncontrollably. Is that She said, is that normal? And I said, that's absolutely normal, especially with everything you're going through and experiencing the love of Christ and community. No, that's absolutely normal. And she said, I raised my hand for a prayer for salvation and peace, and I want to be part of this community. And it feels so comforting to know that there's a place where I can belong and have people who want the best for me and my daughter. And I just want to say thank you, Kalos Church, for making something like that possible. Can we give Jesus a round of applause for life change and being a safe place for people, for all nations? I love it. And on top of that, with the end of the year coming in, we raised a grand total of $38,000 as a community. Come on, can we give it up for that, for your generosity? And that's not just money for the sake of money. That, that means we can invest in our local women's shelter. 
That means we can, we can invest in international missionaries. We can be part of church planting. We can make a significant difference as a community. So I am so pumped for what God is doing in this place. And with that in mind, with what's happened in the past and what we're believing for the future, we're launching a brand new series today called Ancient Future. Ancient Future. And we're going to talk about how as we move forward and as we go and grow, we want to make sure we're rooted in our history as a church and as individuals. And so I want to start off by reading the scripture from the book of Job in the Old Testament. And it says this, even a tree has more hope. If it is cut down, it will sprout again and grow new branches. Though its roots have grown old in the earth and its stump decays at the scent of water, it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. And this whole idea is there's an old root and there's a new shoot that comes out of it. And I believe that in our 2020 that new shoots can come out of old roots. Some of us, we have tied ourselves to the past some of ourselves have tied ourselves to the future. But I believe that there's a balance that we're going to walk in in 2020 of this ancient future. We're not just ancient history, but we have a future. We have great things ahead of us. And I want to pray and let that be our reality today. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. And as we start off this new year and new decade, I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word but doers. We pray in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen and amen. There's this tension in the scriptures that for us to move forward, we stay grounded. As we achieve fruitfulness, we have a rootedness. And this is the dynamic in the church and in us as individuals. We move forward as we stay rooted. And that is the reality of an ancient future church. And let's be honest, we live in the future. It's 2020. I don't know who here is a robot. We live in the future. I mean, back to the future, their future was 2015. We are 15 years past that. Jetsons, I think it took place right around now. We live in the future. Look at someone, maybe a potential spouse next to you, and say, you are the future. And to embrace this, we need the voice of a generation to declare that it is 2020. And so we gathered someone to preach and share a message specifically for us to announce this year. Let's play that video. This is 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. I'm Barbara Walters, and this is... 2020. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Barbara. You can applaud for Barbara. Just tie. Applaud for Barbara. Thank you. <laughs> you know, she makes me feel old because I, I shared this video earlier, and a lot of people do not know who Barbara Walters is. Who here knows Barbara? All right, a lot of tentative <laughs> hesitation here. Who here has no idea who Barbara is? Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> she was a, a news person and was the voice of a generation and had a show called 2020 to see things as they really are. And now that it's 2020, she gets to fully, with all authority, declare that it is 2020. 
not good at impressions, but we live in the future, and it's exciting, and seeing Barbara come alive like this makes me feel really old, and I was reading this uh, blog, a blog called Wait But Why, that described how old we are and how ancient we are as we approach our future in this reality, and uh, I want to let you know that the 90s were 30 years ago. Does that make you feel old? The 90s were 30 years ago. You know the movie The Lion King and like Jurassic Park? That movie, those movies, they, they were closer to the moon landing than they are to today. Those are, that's, you're old. It, you know, have, who's heard of the show The Wonder Years? Yeah. Where they declared like old timey days. If The Wonder Years were made, remade today, it would take place in 2005. That makes me feel old, right? Look at someone and say, you're ancient but in the future. If you're 60 years old, you were born closer to the 1800s than 2020. Ancient future. 35-year-olds were born closer to the 1940s than today. Ancient future. This is wild, but today is 2020. And while some of us feel kind of old, some of us feel like new, they're like, I'm going to live forever. We live in a new reality, and I want, I want to talk about this in this new series, Ancient Future. And uh, here's a quote that kind of makes me feel a little tired and exhausted. It's a quote. I don't know if the source is a meme. And so it's true, I assume. But if you were born in the 80s and raised in the 90s and make it to 2020, you have lived in four different decades, uh, two different centuries, two different uh, millenniums, and you're not even 40 yet. Any 35-year-olds in the house? This is your time, Larry. <laughs> this is your time. I'm 34. I'm almost there. But this is wild to, to live in this future. And, you know, with anything, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to church, as we move forward, we, we've been saying this phrase. I've been seeing this phrase a lot. It's 2020, new year, new me, right? But when we say this every year, we're at a risk of losing ourselves and losing our rootedness. We lose our foundation when every year there's a new me, a new me, a new me. It's like, who am I anymore? I mean, some of us, we, we've gotten jobs and we've entered a new community. And so we make these little adjustments and we try to create new habits and learn the lingo. And suddenly we become someone that we don't even recognize anymore. And then we have an encounter with our family. Maybe we go back for a vacation. They're like, I don't even know you anymore. You've been a new me for so many times that, like, where's the old you? And I, this can happen in the church as well. Sometimes as the church, we're trying to think about the future so much that we like think, all right, in order to reach people with the gospel, you know, what we need is we have to have Bitcoin offering. We have to be in the future. That's the only way we can reach this generation. We have to have Bitcoin or we have to have fancy videos. We have to do all this new innovative technology with social media. And we're, we're tied to the future. But then we, we realize, like, who are we as the church anymore? We're just following the fads of culture. And if you're, if you're married to fads, you're oftentimes going to be widowed soon because fads change more and more. But then some of us, we're so tied to the past and our history that there's like no room for improvement. We're not growing. Our best years are behind us. We've already maxed out in our potential. This can happen to us as individuals. We're so rooted that we're not progressing, and it can happen in the church. Have you ever walked into a church and you're like, I just went through a time portal, and I am in the past. 
Like, this carpet is ancient history. The language, I don't understand. You know, have you ever heard people in their prayer voices? You're like, hey, man, how you doing? What's up? Hey, buddy. And they're normal, and then they're like, hey, let's pray. And you're like, thee are awesome at it. You're like, thee have a brightest future. You're like, what year are we in? What, what just happened? And it feels like we're in this ancient history. And I, there's a tension that we must address and walk in as the church, that we are called to be rooted to the timeless ways of Jesus Christ, but we are also called to move and make sure that while our message is timeless, our means to communicate it must be timely. Does that make sense? And so the, in this tension, I don't know if you're experiencing this when you're saying, hey, new year, new me, or is it new year, newer me, or is it new year, new hope, new year, new goals, new year, new resolutions, new year, new vision. Like, how do I enter in, in this tension? That's what this series about ancient future is all about. And so what we're going to do is kind of blow the dust off of some of these ancient traditions and practices that have lasted for thousands of years in the church and do it as a community. And I believe that this will be a huge, huge blessing, especially in this era of the 20s. I like it. It kind of rings as sentimental for those of us who are familiar with the way that Moses dresses, a time called the Roaring Twenties, right? The Roaring Twenties are a time where things are coming to a life in America, and it, it's roaring. And actually, my friend, he, he started this Facebook group, and he's calling leaders all across the world to, to pray and fast. He's trying to get 20... One million people to pray and fast for 21 days, actually the same schedule as us. We are about to start prayer and fasting as Kalos Church. It's an annual tradition that I'll explain more in the sermon. But he's saying, hey, back they were called the Roaring Twenties as things were coming to life. But I believe that we are called to pray and fast and usher in a time where it's not just roaring for the sake of ourselves, but that Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, is roaring in our generation, that we're going to roar for the gospel, that we're going to see things come to life. And I'm excited, and I'm believing God for that, that we would be able to pray and believe and fast and believe that God isn't done with us, God's not done with our church with our generation, with our city, with our nation, with our state, but God is roaring in significant ways. And I, I thought it was really cool that even in the, the uh, songs we sang, two of the songs we sang today included the word roar. And I was like, hmm, you're going to hear me roar. And it's, it was awesome. And I, I'm really believing for that. But there's this, there's this spirit in the air that we are walking in something new and significant in this future, and I want to make sure we do not abandon the timeless principles of the ways of Jesus as we move forward. And so we're going to be talking about things like fasting. We're going to talk about liturgical prayer. We're going to talk about realities like resting. And I think it's going to be really fruitful that this reality for us in Christ is that we move forward best when we're most rooted to Christ. And we're going to help us stay rooted. Amen? And so the title of this message today is, Why Do We Fast? And we're going to talk about fasting. So the first point I want to share about fasting is this. Fasting is found throughout the Bible and history. Many of us have heard of fasting when it comes to a detox, a cleanse, maybe for health reasons, maybe it's intermittent fasting, whether it's something like the master cleanse or I'm going on this binge to make sure my body is good and right. But there's a spiritual reality of fasting that that's 
older than these diet fads that's rooted in many different religions and rooted in the Bible. And it's kind of strange when you hear about it. I remember learning about fasting as a young Christian and thinking that was very strange. What? People intentionally avoid food? Like, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound full of life. And I'm the kind of person who accidentally forgets to eat a lot. And uh, I have very strange patterns of eating. Anybody with me? Like, you, you're like, I have not eaten all day. Anybody here not able to resonate with that at all? You're like, that's a demon. Like, that's not okay. Like, sometimes my, my wife is like, there's something wrong with you. She'll ask me, like, hey, are, are you hungry? Maybe we should get something to eat. I'm like, I'm not hungry. And then, like, you know, four hours later, she's like, you know what? I'm not going to ask you anymore because I, I want to eat like a normal human being. And I, I just remember, like, hearing in the church that there are people who intentionally didn't eat for reasons of prayer and and strange reasons I didn't, I didn't quite fully understand. And I, I remember thinking, all right, the church called for a fast. I'm going to join in. And I don't remember how long I, I went without food, but it was just me drinking water. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to break the fast with some spicy food. And I, I'd never done this before. And, uh, you know, I, lo- I love spicy food. Look, look at my, my body. Look at my skin color. If you're laughing, that's a little racist. Don't, don't box me into stereotypes. Just, just joking. Easy, easy. All in the white guilt rose up. <laughs> Got him. Anyways, <laughs> so I, I ate the spicy food, and I woke up that night with hives all over my body because apparently I had, like, lost all the enzymes it took to digest spicy food, and I ate really spicy stuff, and it broke out in hives, and I'm like, okay. Fasting is a really weird practice. Like, you know what? Next time the church calls for a fast, I'm just going to say, all right, I'll do 21 days of fasting, but I'm going to fast from fasting. Can I do that? I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Or I'm, you know what? I'm going to take 21 days. I'm just going to, I'm going to fast from Christianity. Is that okay? Or like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to fast from midnight to 6 a.m. That's my fast. Lord, you know what? It's worth it for you. I will do that for you, Lord. From midnight until 6 a.m., my body is yours. Lord, that's how much I love you, right? Anybody with me? You're like, that is my kind of fasting. You know, we're not, we're not like new to this. And I, I want to read a scripture about how strange fasting can seem. And, and there's a scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and it's about this king, the king of Judah. His name is King Jehoshaphat. And, and there is a, a, an army approaching him, and he is filled with fear, and he has a strange response that says, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazazon, Tamar, another word for Engedi, and then and Jehoshaphat was terrified. And so think about this. You're a king, and maybe you're a soldier under this king, and you're like, the king is terrified. He's telling us that there's an army approaching us. War is at our doorsteps. All right, king, what are we going to do? King, give us directions. Should we train? Give me some creatine. I need to be super strong. We're about to fight a war. Give me a monster energy drink. Actually, no, give me a Red Bull and all my energy drink. People said amen. Like, give me some armor. Give me some weapons. Like, I mean, what are we going to do? And then King Jehoshaphat is like, all right. This is what we're going to do. So in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. I would do that too. And then he ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. They're like, what? 
All right, hey, you guys, we're about to fight a huge war. We're going to need you to be at your physical strong strength. We need you to be so physically strong. We need you to outpower the enemy. How are we going to do this, king? I need you to stop eating. That's how we're going to defeat this enemy. That's how we're going to be strong and powerful. I'd be like, king, no. If you don't eat, you get hungry. Me hungry, not strong, king. Fasting seems very strange, doesn't it, in this moment? Like, why would we do this? But what, I think, I think the king knew something that some of us have forgotten. Some, some of us haven't tapped into this part of ancient history, a strength that's found throughout the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. And we're going to dive into this. But his first response was to seek the Lord and fast in a time of terror, in a time of fear. And some of us today, we are enduring some painful realities. 2019 beat us up. It feels like there are things attacking us. It feels like there's an army swarming us. It feels like we're in danger. We don't know what to do. We don't have a lot of direction. And I I think we need to learn from this king, Jehoshaphat. His first response was to seek the Lord and enter into a time of fasting. And not only that, we see it through other places and other leaders, like Joel 1 says this, announce the time of fasting, call the people together for a solemn meeting, bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God, and cry out to him there. So we see these realities of corporate fasting, where people are fasting together on the same page. We also see uh, times of individual private fasting, and Jesus addresses this all the time. You know, Jesus assumed that we would fast. In the scriptures, he doesn't say, if you fast. There are two times I want to read to you where Jesus says, when you fast, when you fast, assuming that you will. In Matthew 9, it says this, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast then they will fast. And see, we see again in Matthew 6, 16, it says this, and when you fast, say when you fast, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is their only reward that they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair. Look at someone and say, comb your hair. Comb your hair. Tell someone this week, the Bible says, comb your hair. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting. The perfect crime. Except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. So two times Jesus assumes that we will fast. But it's crazy, though. When I talk to a lot of Christians, people who have grown up in the church, I'll ask them about prayer and fasting. They'll say, I've actually never done that, which is strange considering that Jesus assumed we would do that. And, and I, I just think it's time for us to tap into the power of prayer and fasting. So that's why we as Kalos Church, we actually have a time of 21 days of prayer that we do twice a year. We do it in August. We do it in January. It's like a big reset, a restart where we can start the year off strong. And so I just want to invite you to join us for a time of prayer and fasting. We're officially starting it tomorrow. We'll break it in 21 days at our black tie event. 
where we dress up, we get all fancy, we eat fancy hors d'oeuvres, our pinkies are up like crazy, and we break the fast together. It, it is beautiful, but what is fasting? Let's, let's demystify this a little bit, especially for those of us who are new to this mysterious thing called fasting. So point number two, what, what is fasting? I want to give us a simple working definition so that not confused so that we're all on the same page, and it's this. Fasting essentially is giving up food or something else for a period of time in order to focus your attention on God. So fasting is disconnecting from something and using that extra resource we have access to now so that we can connect to God. So disconnecting to the world and connecting to God. That's what fasting is all about. And there are different kinds of fasts that are found throughout the Bible, and I want to give you some definitions and understanding so that you can pray through and think about what kind of fast you want to do these 21 days. Some of us are a little concerned. Oh, my goodness, do I have to go without food for 21 days? Well, there are more options than that. There's something called an absolute fast where you go for, like, you know, days without any food or any water. We see this in the book of Esther. We see people who want to kill the Apostle Paul. They say we won't eat food or drink until we kill him. That's an absolute fast. We're not recommending that for 21 days because that's really intense. But what we would really ask that you pray and consider is a complete fast. That's a fast where you're doing liquids only. Some of you would do only water, maybe some juices, things like that. Really ask that you consider talking to your doctor before undergoing this, especially if you're not sure what your body can handle. But I, I've done fasts like this. It is possible. So that would be a complete fast. Another option for fasting would be a selective fast. This is removing certain things from your diet, like a Daniel fast. We see in the book of Daniel, where you eat no meats, no sweets. You abstain from uh, alcohol or wine. And uh, if you've watched the documentary Game Changers on Netflix recently... You probably are already considering this kind of fast. We abstain from meat for various reasons. Uh, that would be a selective fast. Another kind of fast would be a partial fast, sometimes called a Jewish fast, where you pick certain times of the day. It's almost like intermittent fasting. So, hey, when the sun is up, I'm not going to eat. When the sun is down, I will eat. That could be considered a partial fast. Another one, for those of you especially who are really intimidated by the idea of fasting, would be a... Uh, Soul fast. This is where you do something like, I'm going to abstain from listening to music, or I'm going to be off of social media, or I'm not going to watch TV, or I'm not going to watch Netflix. Actually, in a, in a moment, Josiah is going to share great testimony where he included his soul fast with Chanel, and God did some amazing things through that. And I think you incorporated it with the Daniel fast as well, but they incorporated soul fast, and God did some incredible things. But for those of us who are just new to the idea of fasting, this could be a great start. I've done this. Actually, the last fast we did in August, I, I didn't do social media, and it was really helpful. How many of you know you could use a soul fast already as the year starts? It's just a great reset. So these are different options for our working definition of fasting, abstaining from something so that you can use that extra attention and focus and designate it to God. And I, I just want to make this clear, like, Fasting should not be starving. Fasting is feasting on God. Does that make sense? It's not just a diet. It's not just avoiding certain things. It's using the extra energy we have to feast on God. 
So we could call our fast a Bible binge, you know, something like that, where we are spending extra time, extra energy on God. And so why do we fast? Number three, point number three, why do we fast? So we see this king, remember, King Jehoshaphat, terror on every side, war all around him. And his first instinct was to fast. And at the end of that story, we see that God gives him great victory. There's peace in the land. This fasting proved to be effective. And before I explain more about that, I want to share a story from my life and even the origin of Kalos Church. You know, Kalos Church was birthed and founded during a time of prayer and fasting. You know, Amritha and I, we got pregnant for the first time before we started Kalos Church. We were living in Michigan, and we were so excited. We're going to have our first child. We're making the announcements, telling our friends. We're telling our parents. We still have videos of them recorded when they find out, oh, my goodness, you're having a baby. This is so exciting. And then as we moved forward with the pregnancy, the doctor told us, hey, we, we can see, like, the embryonic sac, but we don't see a heartbeat in this baby. And that news just devastated us. And we were caught in this weird reality where there was like remnants of a baby there, but there was no heartbeat, and the doctors didn't really know if there was a baby in there. And so we didn't even know what to pray for. Would, can this baby live? Is this baby, was this baby ever alive? Like, we, we didn't even know what to pray for. Have you ever been in a moment like that where you don't even have the right words to say? You don't know what to do. And so eventually the doctor said there isn't a baby in there. And it resulted in a, a miscarriage, and that was just so traumatic, so dark, because now we're like, this is our first pregnancy ever. Like, can we ever have a child? Like, is there something wrong with us? Or did we do something wrong? Did we cause this reality? And just a period of darkness and depression and fear and anxiety just, like, surrounded us. What are we going to do? And in those moments, it feels very long because nobody ever talks about miscarriages for some reason. It's like only until we told people that we were going through this, they're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've gone through that before. But we had no idea people had endured this kind of pain, this rewriting of dreams, this new reality. And so just being in this, like, unhealthy place, we decided to pray and fast, much like King Jehoshaphat. We decided we're going to seek the Lord. And I didn't know how long we would pray and fast, but one day began, and then it was two days, and then three days. And that fast lasted for 40 days, just, just liquids. Lost like 32 pounds. And I, we didn't pray and fast like that because we were like spiritually strong and we're these giants, we're these amazing people. Oh my goodness, wow, I can't believe you prayed and fast for 40 days. You're special. No, it was because we were so weak and discouraged, and hopeless, and didn't know what to do, and we were like, the only thing we know to do is seek the Lord, and it was just really coping, and I'm not even saying it was super healthy, but it's all we could muster the strength to do, and so we would just pray, and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray, and it, it was just, it wasn't getting better, but in that moment, in that time, the Lord actually spoke to me, I believe, and he said, Hey, I know you're struggling to build your physical family. Right now, I want you to focus on building a spiritual family. I still have a family for you to build. Don't give up hope. I want you to focus on building a spiritual family, a beautiful church. 
And that's actually why we're called Kalos Church. Kalos meaning beautiful. I felt like in that moment of like death and destruction and fear and really not knowing what to do, feeling like an army was surrounding us, the Lord in a moment spoke and suddenly we had light again. Suddenly we had hope again. Suddenly we felt like we had strength to move forward and even undertake the great, you know, venture of starting a church. And how does that happen? Because the Lord is the source of all life. You know, in a moment, in a word, the Lord can bring life into your death. One word from the Lord can change everything. And it wasn't like food was evil and bad, but we just had to divert our attention on these legitimate pleasures and use that to go to the source of life. It felt like this tree was dead, but then in that source, in that prayer, in that time of the Lord, it was like he put some water on that old stump. It was like new branches started to come up again. New hope. And some of us in this place, we need that so desperately. We're so spiritually malnourished. We feel so distant from God. We're like, when was the last time I was really hungry for God and thirsty for God? I feel like death and darkness is on my every side. And I want to let you know one moment with God can change everything. He truly is the source of all life, of all hope. He can be the one that rescues you and cultivate you and nourish your heart. But a relationship with God isn't discovered, it's cultivated. And it's in this time of prayer and fasting, we can rekindle that fire. We can put water on your barren soul. We can help see that the Lord is with us. That's what we're doing in this 21 days of prayer. And I'm just so thankful, and I I just fully acknowledge, like, even as a pastor, you know, Kalos Church right now, we're bigger than we've ever been. We've just fundraised more money than we've ever fundraised. But still, as leaders, we feel inadequate. We desperately need God to sustain this thing. Kalos Church was birthed in a time of prayer and fasting, And we strongly believe that it will only be sustained through prayer and fasting. That we connect to God. He is our source and that we never forget that. We never forget that. We grow by staying rooted in Jesus. We move forward by staying grounded. We are an ancient future church. How connected to God are you? I think many of us could really use a 21-day reset where we connect to God. Amen. Amen. And so why do we fast? You know, fasting isn't a hunger strike against God. It's a hunger strike against hell. Saying, death, you don't own me anymore. The legitimate pleasures of this world, you don't own me. Fasting doesn't twist the arm of God to do our will, but it does touch the heart of God. Because when we give up something for God, it means something to God. We can say, Lord, you are the one we place our trust and hope in. We acknowledge you with our days, our strength, our attention, our mind. You are the source of all our lives. You know, there's this quote I really like, especially when I think about our realities as a church, as individuals, even the reality of King Jehoshaphat. Andrew Murray says it like this, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek 
for the kingdom of God. When we fast, it opens the door for us to have the true power of God. When we fast, it's like we're saying, Lord, we repent from trying to do this in our own strength and we turn our faces towards you as a source of life. When we fast, it can be used as a time of grieving for the pains and the wrongs of this world, saying, Lord, you are the source of true justice and hope. When we fast, amazing things happen. And so when the voices and the fear is trying to swarm you, use this pun to sway it away. You just say, hey, darkness, you're trying to attack me, but get what? Hey, but not so. Fast. Let it sink in. I know it's a stretch, but this is Kalo's church. <laughs> Not so. I'm going to fast. <laughs> Sometimes we're so slow to fast. King Jehoshaphat's first response was saying, hey, let's seek the Lord. Let's call a fast as we engage a war. So I want you to consider this. Join us for 21 days of prayer and fasting. Pray about what the Lord would have you do as we approach this season. I believe it's going to be something that nourishes and cultivates your soul. And maybe you're not fasting for yourself as an individual. Maybe you're fasting for the church. Hey, we need your prayer. The church, we're going to reach more and more people in the city. God is doing amazing things through us and in us. And I'm just so excited for all the lives we get to touch. God's not done with us yet. Amen. The best days are yet to come. And we're going to move into it. And I, I, just, I just love it. I just love it. In Second Chronicles, we see the resolution of the story with King Jehoshaphat. It says, when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemy. So the Lord showed up after that fast. The enemies of Israel, they defeated him. The fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace. For his God had given him rest on every side. Some of you need rest on every side, not fear on every side. Well, let's disconnect from the legitimate pleasures of this world. And use that to focus on God. It's going to be amazing. You know, sometimes when Amritha is cooking a meal in her kitchen, I, I'll just get into a snacking mode. And she'll be making this amazing feast like chicken curry or something like that. But as I, I smell the aroma and I see the food, I get, I get hungry. It's like, oh, I am hungry. I haven't eaten in a couple days. It's time to eat. And I, I kind of go into like this mode where I just... She calls it scavenger mode, where I just start finding anything to, I can eat. Tomato paste and bread, yum. Let's do this. Like, it's like pizza. And, and I'll, or, I'll, like, there's some baby carrots here, and I'll just start snacking on them. And uh, I'm just eating, and Aretha's cooking this great feast. And she's like, what are you doing? Why are you eating that stuff? She's not coming against baby carrots. She says, you can quote her on this, baby carrots are legitimate pleasures. <laughs> she's never said that. But she's not like, she's not like anti-baby carrots, but she's like, I'm making this feast for you. Why, why are you eating that? And she'll say, hey, stop eating that food. You're going to say it with me. Spoil your appetite. And I, some of us are like, why am I not more hungry for God? I used to be so passionate about God in the church. And I felt like my relationship was fully alive. I don't know. Could it be that? You've been, like, spoiling your appetite on the legitimate pleasures of this world. It's like, I, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. Oh, wait a minute. A new season of Stranger Things just came out. I watched that in one week. You're like, it's like we have time for what we do first. 
you always have time for what you do first. And in this new year, in this new decade, let's, let's connect to God because we'll only move forward as we're rooted in Christ. Our future must be rooted in the ancient timeless truths of Jesus. So let's not spoil our appetites on lesser pleasures. Let's feast on the riches God has provided for us. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this word, for your truth, your scripture, this ancient tradition of fasting. Praise you, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to unearth this and use the power of it that we might feast on you and experience the resources and wealth and riches that you have to offer us. That we could not have malnourished souls, but we would be overflowing, we pray, Lord. Lord, even right now, I pray that you'd speak to us and how you want us to pray and fast for these 21 days. Even right now, Kayla's Church, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you? How do you want me to participate in this? Amen and amen. So we start tomorrow, and I believe this is going to be an incredible blessing. I'm so excited for you to experience the fullness of God's pleasure. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed that sermon. We're going to have a new one posted every single Monday. So see you back next week. And if you're ever in the Seattle area, we would love to have you join us in church. Go to kalos.church or follow us on social media at Kalos Church for more information. See you next time.